We all have big dreams, but far too often, we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. Today's guest has been coined one of the world's best growth hackers, although you'll see he shares in the episode how that can actually have a negative connotation. But either way, he knows how to help clients solve problems when it comes to marketing and scaling their message. He's one of the best to do it, and he's done it for himself with books like Hookpoint and One Million Followers. We talk a lot about getting into social media for the first time, what makes content compatible compelling and some life lessons about learning that really served him as a business leader. Please welcome to interview 33, Brendan King. All right, I'm excited to meet and collaborate with every single one of our guests, but I have to say that this interview is something I'm particularly excited about because I've been a fan of your work, having read both books and really appreciated the way that you go about teaching how to be a content creator and how to be a better marketer. And so first off, thank you so much for doing this. I always love to allow people to introduce themselves though. So if you could, let's say you were coming in to teach one of my high school business classes and I just asked kind of who you are and what you do so you could tell the group, what would you say? I would say that I own a consulting firm. I write books and speak around the world. And it's really about helping companies that are pre-revenue all the way up to 25 billion a year grow and scale. So I really look at their short and long-term business objectives and craft strategies that allow them to really stand out in the crazy noisy world that we find ourselves in today. Now, I've heard you share on other podcasts the idea of being a problem child growing up. And speaking of standing out, somebody else who uses that term and kind of more brags about it is Jake Paul. It's really an interesting case study to see how much he and Logan, his brother, are doing in terms of, I guess, getting attention and standing out. What do you think they do well in the world of social media? Well, I think that they connect with their audience in a very direct way. So one of the things that I learned from Taylor Swift that I think really separates the influencers that are successful versus not successful is social media is not a one-to-many platform. Social media is a one-to-one platform. So every time you're engaging with social media, you're typically by yourself. You're not surrounded by tens of thousands of people watching it together. And I think the influencers, the musicians, the athletes that excel in social media, they understand that. They are connecting with you as if you they if you are their friend. Yeah, those relationships. So I, I think that that's really what bridges that success. Now, I think sometimes influencers lose track of that and can still be successful once they reach those higher levels because they've basically turned themselves into movie stars. But to start on social, to grow on social is to really understand how do I foster that one-to-one connection with these people to the point where they want to share my content, my message, my brand with everybody they know. Right. Sort of scaling the unscalable, I suppose, is one way to put it. But doing things that help connect to your audience beyond things that could maybe be automated, I guess. And I think that that's something that I really appreciate in your work is being able to be what I would at least consider an influencer in the positive sense, but still stay true to your values. I recently read 12 and a half by Gary V, And I think in that there's a lot of ideas of these values, the sort of like soft skills 
principles we used to talk about in terms of becoming entrepreneurs uh, was the these values and the idea of being an entrepreneur, something that started really young for you. And I guess what was your journey from learning about entrepreneurship and then kind of like getting into it more full time? Well, did entrepreneurship start young for me? Yes. Did I know it was entrepreneurship? No. Uh, my parents would tell me stories of, you know, at age six, picking up my toys and going and knocking on neighbors' doors to try and sell things. I wasn't successful at it, but it was, again, you know, a signal of it. Again, I had no idea what that was. I don't think I really understood that I was an entrepreneur. I wanted to be an entrepreneur until age probably 25. That doesn't mean I wasn't trying entrepreneurial things. When I went to college, I really wanted to be a film producer and I wanted to learn the the business side of the entertainment industry. Hmm. And when I showed up at film school, I quickly realized they don't teach you anything about business there. So I had to figure out, well, how do I do that? So I figured, well, why not start a business? And the most cost efficient way at the time and still holds true today was to start internet companies. So I was starting internet companies uh, while I was going to college just to learn and experiment. And then when I moved uh, to LA to pursue a career in film, it's when the entertainment industry started to reawakened to, to digital after the dot-com bust. This was in 2005. And I just saw like everybody else, I was starting at the bottom making coffees, copies, deliveries. And when people ask me, well, what do you want to do? Why did you move to LA? And I would say, I want to be a film producer. I could see everybody's eyes glaze over because I was just one of another million people. So I had to really take a step back and figure out what my hook point is, how I could stand out. And in doing that, I would just see the anxiety and stress that would come over the office uh, whenever we finished making a movie, because we would spend tens of millions, in some cases over $100 million in a single piece of content. And then we needed people, hundreds of millions of people around the world to know about this single piece of content in months instead of decades. You know, normally brands are built over decades or at least years. A movie, you do not have that luxury. Uh, So I just decided to just approach the people that I saw were having anxiety and stress to say, listen, I started these internet companies in college. I know how to tap into digital and social traffic sources at no cost or a fraction of the cost of what we're paying to reach these people in other ways. Would that be helpful to you? And they said yes. Uh, so that's kind of like, I think, the earliest stages of what that what that really looked like. The term being neurodivergent is something that's really interesting to me, and I'm more and more interested in looking into that and what that means for people, because so many of us have such different aspects of our own minds that make us truly unique and stand out. One thing for you, for sure, is that you're very multi-passionate. I've recognized that in your work. And so one thing you talk a lot about is your background in the film, TV, and movie industry. I'm curious, do you uh, still have an interest in pursuing? working in film or is that something that's kind of on the back burner for you maybe even forever i have an interest in consuming film (laughs) i don't really have an interest working in film uh because it's so political it's so so corporate i still help producers and actors in certain situations whether because they're friends or more importantly i know they're actually going to take our advice and use it I, i have no no motivation to work with people that are not gonna take what we strategize for them or the direction that we give them. Uh, So like, for example, I've been asked to work on political campaigns all the way up to presidential campaigns. And I will oftentimes pass on it because I just know that their team is gonna shoot it down, shoot down the ideas. And it's just like, I'd rather work with people that are going to take our, take the energy, the, the effort that we put into it and actually make it come to fruition. Right. And that's something that's definitely easy to respect about your brand and your business, the idea of willing 
willing to maybe sacrifice and be somewhat selective. I think a lot of people who are multi-passionate and have all these different ideas or just like money struggle with the idea of wanting to just do whatever comes at them. And so that ability to be a little more selective with it is a really interesting value, I think. Uh, Speaking of values, do you have like a core set of values or other values, sort of a mission statement that you operate from? Or is that just because this is naturally who you are? No, we're not really, we're not really operating from that perspective. To me, I just like helping people realize their dreams, their goals, overcoming the challenges that they face. And when we're selecting a client, you know, obviously we have to be paid and you know, our time is valuable. So there's a dollar amount associated with it. But outside of that, it's, it's less about the size of the company. Uh, we work with pre-revenue all the way up to 25 billion a year. It's, it's more about the mindset of the people or the team that we're working with. For sure. Have they really bought into our approach? Are they going to execute on it? Are they going to be successful with it? Because listen, I can go into any industry. I can help anybody at any size. I treat everybody the same. It's just a puzzle. I'm great at solving puzzles. My team is great at, great at solving puzzles to overcome very complex challenges. Uh, so that's just what, the way that we look at it. I love that you mentioned helping people achieve their dreams and their goals and that you work with all different levels of revenue because really that's my main mission with this show is just trying to help people figure out what their big dream is and then achieve it. So anybody else doing that, I really appreciate and have tons of time for. So first off, thank you. Uh, When it comes to the idea of solving those puzzles, you mentioned checking in with your team. It makes me think of the books Hook Point and One Million Followers that you've written and the fact that most people, myself included, probably went and purchased those because they want to implement them in a DIY sort of way. Do you think that people can achieve these things on their own? Or is it really something that's just way more valuable for them to connect with this team that you have to help them solve those problems? Well, 100% people can do it on their own. It's why we created the books is to give people the strategies and the information. But you got to realize we've been doing this for 16 years. So I'll give you everything. I don't hold anything back in our books. It's not like we're holding back so people will pay us money. It's just doing it on your own. It's going to take time to get good at it. And if you don't have the time and you have the resources to invest, then obviously working with us will expedite that process because we know the questions to ask. We know where to look to identify the patterns and how to break them. We know clearly how to help people stand out. So you can 100% take the strategies in in our book and be successful with it. I get stories of people that are super successful. I also get stories from people that are not successful. And those are the people typically that try for a week or two or even a few months. It doesn't work. And then they just blame the material. Right. They say your system doesn't work or make some kind of excuses or something. I feel like people don't often realize how long it can take to achieve some of our goals. You know, and when we look at the industries of like actors or musicians in many ways, they're maybe more appreciative, you know, bodybuilders or CrossFit athletes. The idea that things might take us five, 10, 15 years, that's okay because if you love it, you just continue to stick with it and who cares because you're loving the process and it will work out. We 
will succeed. Uh, one thing you mentioned too that I really love is the idea of not holding back. I think that a lot of people worry when they get into sharing content or being that sort of one person or small entrepreneurial business model that they shouldn't share things. So I really appreciate you kind of sneaking that in there because the idea that we shouldn't hold back, we should share all of our secrets, but then there are ways to still grow a brand and a, a business can be really helpful for people too. Uh, if you were to, or when you do give a, a sales pitch as to why it would be worthwhile for people to invest though, and even for me, maybe on this show in the future, like I'll be looking to grow the brand bigger and, and marketing and for people trying to figure out if they have the money to invest yet or where that becomes a priority and when that becomes a priority. So if you could just kind of like maybe share a bit about why it does make sense for a lot of people to invest in getting help from someone like you. The number next to your name on social platforms means something. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. 15, 20 years ago, if you wanted to share your message, you wanted to share your content, you had to get on television or film or radio to do that. Today, you can go on Facebook, you can go on Instagram, you can go on Twitter, any of these platforms and literally reach millions of people. Mm -hmm. You can either really get down about it and be like, that's unfair. And I have more talent than these people and these people are winning because they have a large social audience or I'm going to go out and figure this out. I'm going to get this social audience and I'm going to make people pay attention to me. Everybody has a choice. Right. And what I start with all of the clients I work with is what is the return on investment that you're going to get by having a social following? You have to define that first. Is it going to help me get into a feature film? Is it going to help me get a book deal? Whatever that may be, you have to define that for yourself because then you have to look through everything through that lens of how much am I willing to invest to get to that level, either time or money, because that's really going to dictate everything else. Because let's just say I, I told you it cost me $10,000 to generate a million followers and I made $10 off of it versus I invested $100,000 to generate a million followers and I made a million dollars off of it. Which one would you prefer? The first one. <laughs> what are you expecting to get out of this? And how much are you willing to put in to get that? Whether that's time, money, sweat, tears, or the financial side. You want to do social or digital because you feel excited about it. Unless you have a ton of budget and you can just hire people to do it for you, ask yourself, why am I doing this? Yeah. Is this something you're interested in? Is this something you're excited about? Because if you're not excited about building a social audience, don't do it. Just don't because it's it's a lot of time it's a lot of work and let that drive that decision to me that makes complete sense and to date it's been you know the blood sweat and tears so far as well as a little bit of money in terms of investing on the show obviously i have the app to create and then i have the app to edit and then i invest a little bit in terms of the social platforms and things like that website etc but so far it's been less about the money because i haven't really generated revenue either from the show and i don't necessarily want to just jump and create a course right now we'll figure all that stuff out a little more long term. But I'm curious about the idea of being a growth hacker. I know in entrepreneur.com article, as well as some other podcasts, you've certainly been referred to as a growth hacker. But I also in doing my research have heard you speak about the fact that that takes on a bit of a negative connotation as well. And so I know that when other people define our reputations or call us things, it can be one thing, but I'm curious where you stand on the idea of being a growth hacker and what you see it is that you actually do today. I'm always trying to find the best strategies and techniques to reach goals and objectives, whether that be for a client or myself, in the shortest time period possible. Now, where the negative connotation comes in is people see hacks as flimsy solutions that are not stable. Right. Whereas I think that you can leverage techniques and strategies on how to grow quickly. But with anything, if you don't have a solid foundation built under it, it's not going to last. 
Well, I love that because I definitely want to build a solid foundation when it comes to this brand of Just Keep Learning and really a community of people focused on, I guess, growth mindset, lifelong learning, and really supporting each other in achieving our dreams and goals. Uh, You did mention, though, that it's possible to do what the books Hook Point and One Million Followers say in a DIY kind of way. And the idea that there are, even if there's a negative connotation to the idea of being a hacker, using strategies that help us grow quickly is valuable. And so the subtitle for 1 million followers is how I built a massive social following in 30 days. If we are using some of those hacks in a more positive way above the foundation, I mean, is it really possible for your average person to build a million followers quickly? And if so, how do they do it? Is it possible to generate a million followers with no money? Yes. I, I've got Jay Shetty. I think he's 18 million followers on Facebook. Julius Dean, 15 million followers in 15 months. Prince Ye, I think he's 11, 12 million followers. He's all people that I've spoken to. It comes down to content. If you want to do it for no money, then you just got to just study as hard as you can on content formats and figure out how to make the most viral content that nobody can not pay attention to, that nobody can watch that video and not share it. Right. If you're not getting people to share the content, even advertising it, then it's meaningless. Or the other way is you just get great collaborations with people that have huge followings. Collaborating with other people to expose your content, your brand to other audiences. What a collaboration looks like is, so I have a million followers, you have a million followers. We come together and say, hey, let's produce content together so that I expose you to my audience and you expose me to your audience. You forge strong connections, creative connections with people that you're willing to exchange audiences or maybe you're providing value to them that they want to promote you. So for example, let's just say you only have a thousand followers, but you want to collaborate collab with people with larger audiences and you're a great director or you're a great musician or you're a great photographer, you reach out to them and say, hey, listen, I'd love to provide this value to you and just build a relationship. Don't ask them for anything, but that will automatically expose you not to them, but to all those people in that inner circle. And that's where you see that rapid growth of people collabing together. So that's one way of doing it. Mm -hmm. The second way is your content is just so great and so valuable. Other accounts want to steal it or other accounts will take it and post it on their channels. Well, I'm a huge believer in the power of collaboration. I think that's why I love podcasting, you know, being able to do interviews with great people like you and have these conversations with incredible creators and just kind of work together. I also love being on movie sets, the idea of playing any role, to be honest, in terms of creating a film as a group. Maybe it reminds me a bit of being on a football team or something. I'm not sure, but I love collaboration. Uh, The second thing that you mentioned, the idea of making content so effectively that people actually want to share it, or maybe that idea we think of virality. And and to be honest, the type of creators that people would want to collaborate with in the in the first place. What are some thoughts that you have for people who haven't really been creating in social media and they're just looking to get started? Look at the people that are currently reaching your audience. Look at the people that are having success. In reverse engineer, why are they having success? Now, I'm not saying go look at Kendall Jenner and Kylie Jenner and be like, oh, they're posting this type of photo, so I'm going to do that because those are the outliers. Yeah. Like you can't look at somebody that's got 100 million followers. Um, So first, really look at who do you admire, who's reaching your audience, ignore the outliers, and then reverse engineer the type of content they're producing, the type of packages they're using. And then from there, putting your own message. Copy what people do in terms of their, their formats and the way they package 
package content, but don't copy their message. Find your own internal message. Choose the platform that you're most excited about because you have to be excited. Like if you love Instagram and you're on Instagram every day, then choose Instagram. If you love Facebook, use Facebook, but choose the platform that you enjoy doing because you're going to get burned out Mm -hmm. super quick if you're not choosing the right direction. Well, if nothing else from this interview, I hope people take that piece of advice away. The idea that you'll get burnt out if you try and do everything all at once. And for me, that was a big thing that I failed at, frankly, in the beginning was the idea of having to be everywhere. I like the idea that David Speed said in our second episode of this show, the idea that you should plant flags everywhere, but create in one spot for now. You know, the idea of A, build your audience and community until it's powerful enough to transfer over, but also just so like you said, you don't get burnt out and you're able to focus. I think that's huge. I'm actually helping someone start a Twitter handle right now in the world of real estate. And that's all we're doing is that one feed, building an audience, a bit of a community because she's a good writer and likes to be a bit behind the scenes. So that's where the focus is and we're not starting anything else for now. Uh, The idea that we can create content that's viral, I think is so valuable in today's day and age especially with the rise of TikTok, YouTube Shorts, and Instagram Reels, this idea of creating compelling content that people want to share and repost and retweet Now, in the books, you have whole analytical systems to helping people run tests and that sort of thing to really formalize what they're learning about the content they're sharing and increasing the mathematical statistical likelihood of shareability. Uh, When you see people just starting and then maybe struggling or just things that they make mistakes on when first starting to create content, what are some things that stand out to you? I can go in and maximize the potential of any content, but I can't take a bad piece of content and make it great. That's just not feasible. But what you can do is learn how to package your content, how to make something compelling. And that's the most important thing where I see people fail is they're just taking photos, they're just posting videos blindly. And that's fine to start, but you've got to put some type of mechanism in place to actually understand why this video worked better than this video or this photo worked better than this photo. Great content is content that engages people. Yes, having a an authentic voice, having in an emotional hook or a way to draw people in is strong. But uh, America's Funniest Home Videos was on TV for the longest time because people like that content. Yeah, it's true. What is the message that you want to put out into the world? And what is the best way that you can package that that's going to get somebody to share it with somebody else? To me, that is the success metric that I put above all other metrics. I don't really care that much about likes and comments. I care about how many people are going to share this content. And at the simplest level, it's just creating a spreadsheet or even just looking looking in your phone and saying this, this image created a hundred likes and this one did a thousand. I'm going to produce five more of these and see if I can reproduce that and do that over again. Yeah, it's always incredible when people kind of stumble into the idea of being an influencer and creating content that really speaks to an audience. And then all of a sudden they have a big following. And certainly that was more possible when TikTok first started kind of blowing up. And I've definitely interviewed a couple people for this show where, you know, they really didn't have an intention. They were just creating and sharing and go figure. All of a sudden they built an audience and then had to figure out, okay, well, this is amazing. What can I do with it? So I think that's pretty special, but it is quite rare no doubt. And so for most of us having to track and be a little more analytical and analyze 
advising and like you said, at least having a spreadsheet at, at bare minimum to help us track what works, what doesn't work, what people appreciate, what we should try and do more of, I think makes complete sense. Now, social media definitely gets a bad rap when it comes to the idea of maybe just consuming content. People see it as a waste of time. And something that I've certainly picked up on is that there's a naive element to teachers, uh, parents, and even just uh, adults or friends giving advice to others about why you might want to use social media for good. And I think one of those huge reasons is monetization, obviously. For me, I love the idea of how much do you want to create just for fun? Like, what's your goal? But for those who do feel like I want to build an audience to monetize, what is the way that we can give a peek behind the curtain about how people actually could grow a following in order to monetize? Yeah, so there's a few different ways that you can monetize a social audience. My vision of it was I'm going to monetize this through a publishing deal. And that publishing deal is then going to lead to speaking engagements all around the world. And then that gives me the ability to run workshops. Right. I wasn't looking at from I'm going to get a million followers and do brand endorsement deals. So that goes to the second way that you can monetize, which is establish a significant brand, a bunch of followers. And from there, get endorsement deals like they get paid per post or they get paid for a series of posts. The other third way is you can build a brand and monetize it by building your own products or services. For example, like thought leaders, what they leverage it for is to, to drive workshops and signing up for courses and mm-hmm. things of that nature. So again, it's like you can build a massive following. I'm going to leverage that following to get other things for actors or musicians. It's like, hey, I'm an actor. So can I get an agent if I have more followers? Can I get a TV gig? If I'm a musician, can I get a record label? So those are intangibles that may not lead to a direct ROI, return on investment, but could pay dividends for your career in other capacities. The second way is just monetize it directly through influencer deals, or you can build your own brand and you see the highest levels of that, of like a Kylie Jenner, who's the youngest female billionaire ever because she was able to leverage social, build a massive following to build a huge brand for herself. Right. Uh, so those are the, the different ways that I look at. I'm sure there's other ways that people have monetized it and, and been successful, but those are the three primary buckets that I see. Yeah, I really appreciate those different buckets. And I know it can be tough to explain a concept like this, because when we're so close to something like you are with online business, sometimes we don't maybe know how uh, little people know about a concept. And certainly I see it all the time that people have no idea why they would want to build a social following or would benefit from having an audience that they own that they can then provide solutions to and monetize. And that's something for me for sure that I just for now love the pure creative, essentially, I have a few ways to monetize but for the most part, focusing on just making the show. And we'll worry about those buckets later. Now, most of the concepts we've talked about have been from the book 1 Million Followers. And I know the concept hook point was a chapter or at least a section in that book. So there's a ton of overlap. But if we could just get a little bit micro with that exact concept, I'm sure you could talk about hook point for hours itself. But if you could just break down a little bit about why hook point's important and maybe a quick summary of what it is, I'm sure that would be really helpful. There's people out there that could transform the world in a positive way. Truly around the world, whether that's in LA or that's in India or Africa or any part of the world, but they just don't know how to get their message out there. They don't know how to get their voice to be heard. And I felt if I could develop a system for anybody starting from zero that they could leverage to have some type of success, and that success doesn't have to be a million followers, maybe it's 10,000. Maybe it's just getting 100,000 people to watch a video. Yeah. First three seconds are super critical. You have less than three seconds to capture their attention. Because the fact of the matter is there's over 60 billion messages, 
spent on digital platforms each day. You have to find a way to overcome the noise. You have less than three seconds. What are you going to do with that? How are you going to capture their attention? That's why you see captions on videos. That's why you see these burned in meme cards at the top is because you have to capture their attention. And the dirty little secret is that 70% of video is watched with the sound off. Mm-hmm. You're going to have people scrolling through the feeds. And if you don't have captions, you don't have a meme card. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to pay attention. Right. Those real feed stoppers. I love what you said a few questions ago about the idea of looking at people who are doing something well, because in your niche or niche or in your industry, there are certainly great examples of people creating those videos that have the overlays of emojis and the great captions. And for me personally, I love putting captions on. I like getting better and better at them. Uh, Also, from a accessibility standpoint, a quick aside on this show, I still create transcripts for every episode because if people want to or all they can do is read the content that I want them to be able to. So I invest money and a little bit of time in making sure that transcripts exist for this show too. So like you said earlier, I guess kind of making sure that we're taking care of everyone in our potential audience and community. One thing that's often provided as a tip is to create as much content as possible, that volume and consistency are key. Certainly when doing something like working out, consistency is no doubt key. But when it comes to the idea of creating content, Where do you stand on that idea between consistency and quantity and making sure we're putting enough of that like crappy things out there, the first hundred bad posts or whatever, you know, the idea of quality versus quantity, where do you stand on that? Consistency is key, but before you get into that, like you've got to find the content that works for you because just producing content at scale is not going to help you win. If you don't have a solid foundation, you don't understand how to package your content, what content's resonating with the audience you're trying to reach, it doesn't matter. It's like putting content out there that's not engaging. If you put a thousand of those videos out there versus one video that's truly engaging, I'd say put one video out there that's truly engaging. Right. Once you get up to that level and understand the content you're creating, first off, do you love the content you're creating? Do you enjoy the content? you're creating because you're going to burn yourself off if you don't. And then secondarily, is it proving to succeed? And I'm not saying, oh, you have to create videos that are all of a sudden creating 100,000 views because that that exponential growth rarely happens that quickly. But are people engaging in it? Are people commenting on it? Even if it's just like five or 10 people commenting on it and saying, I really like it, Mm -hmm. that gives you an indication versus putting a piece of content and nobody engaging with it or people telling you it's shit. That's going to say, tell you, okay, I need to try something else. Yeah. And that's, again, the idea of growth mindset and that willingness to just put our ego aside to not necessarily worry about the training that we have or the way that we've been brought up, but say, okay, I'm going to learn, I guess, more like a scientist or a design thinker, like either it does work or doesn't work. I'm just going to learn and keep going. Speaking of learning and something that I had jotted down and touched on a little bit earlier was that idea of being a problem child. I know that you have referenced the idea of growing up a little bit, quote unquote, different. And so I'm curious when it comes to that idea of being a problem child, how did that impact you positively or negatively? And kind of how does that fit into who you are as a person right now? Problem child, I think is a bit of an over-exaggeration. I think there was like a two-year period where I was a problem child in high school, but it wasn't like growing all the way up. Okay. But going all the way back to, to the birthing experience, I got stuck in the birth canal my right shoulder got herbs palsy. I can't fully extend my right. So I was right, mobility and everything. But from a very early age, I'm naturally right-handed. I had to learn to push myself up left-handed. I had to learn to play sports left-handed. So I believe that wired my brain in a different way. And then, you know, I have a big reflective part of my personality. Some would call it introversion. Uh, so I would always just 
study the environment around me and take things in. And in addition, growing up, my father was uh, very hard on me, especially when it came to sports, which ingrained to me a, a work ethic to not give up and to constantly challenge yourself. And I think in some points I'm way too hard on myself, but I am a huge trial and error person. If something does not work, I will figure out another solution and just keep going and keep going and keep going until I figure out the answer. Mm -hmm. So I think that those elements of early childhood helped shape me to look at the world a bit differently than everybody else. In addition, starting off in the film industry is kind of a blessing and a curse. It's you're thrust into an industry where you are forced to think big. You cannot talk about ideas or present ideas to reach thousands, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of people. You will get fired for that. So very early in my career, I was forced to think as big as possible. Uh, so that again, like with clients that want to work with us, we do not work with people that are looking for incremental growth. We're not the right fit for you. We're the, we're the company that will help you think bigger than you ever imagined possible. And we will push you to think bigger, which presents challenges because the bigger you think, the bigger the strategies and goals, the harder it's going to be. But that's just the world that we operate in. Well, I love any kind of talk when it comes to the magic of thinking big, which is actually another book that is really one of those foundational reads for me. And if anyone listening is wanting to pursue a big dream or a goal, I hope that they really appreciate the idea of shooting for the moon and landing among the stars, those kinds of concepts, because what you're sharing is just like a really good real life example of that. And speaking of that, for so many people who are, as we've talked about, multi-passionate, entrepreneurial, creative, and want to be potentially a business owner, that can be tough if they didn't live that life and maybe didn't have that personality so far, but they know that they want to do it. They're listening to this and they're like super excited to try and do some of these things, but they worry about the idea between having enough time to do it. Let's talk about that excuse a little bit. The idea that you need to side hustle or that you can jump ship and go full time or anywhere in between. When people struggle with that question about what to do, how would you help them solve that a little bit? It's a tough question to answer because each person is completely different. I think you need to be truly honest with yourself about who you are and what's important to you. And there is pros and cons to working for a corporation. There's pros and cons of being an entrepreneur. I can just definitively tell you being an entrepreneur is fucking hard. It's hard. Even today, it's hard for me. You have the highest highs and the lowest lows. I cannot work for a corporation. I cannot sit behind a desk. I cannot work a nine to five job. I work more than a nine to five job and still I can't go and work a nine to five job. And that's a personal choice. And there's honestly nothing wrong with either direction. I admire friends of me that work in the corporate world and have worked their way up and do it. Sometimes I wish I had that in me, but it's just not who I am. So it's just really being honest about what is important to you in life? What motivates you? And if you're on the fence, then start off with a side hustle. Get a sense of what it's like to create something before you dive full force in. You know, the younger you are, the more risk tolerance that you have. Right. So I recommend that if you're younger, give it a shot. You can quit your job and go try something and you'll go find another job if you don't have a family and kids and stuff like that. If you have the opportunity to move back in with your parents, if you have to. But it's really a personal 
decision. And, you know, being an entrepreneur is is a specific personality and a specific person to do it. And again, I just want to stress that if you are not that person, there's nothing wrong with you. You do not have to feel the pressure to be an entrepreneur if you just want to work for a company. If you want to work in a nine to five job, you want to collect a paycheck, go home, drink beers with your friends, hang out with family. That is a totally cool path if that what feels comfortable for you. I couldn't agree more with that. I feel that knowing thyself and this self-reflection, self-observation is really underrated. And the target audience of this show is maybe struggling existentially with what they want to do, pathway planning, and I want to try and help them. I'm speaking to you, those who are trying to figure out what to do, maybe head down a traditional college path or get a job or, 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 or. And day in and day out, I work in jails, and hospitals and addictions facilities supporting youth with figuring out what can I do? And so often they are super creative, super entrepreneurial, and sometimes that's even gotten them in trouble, but those skills are transferable. They could put them into the world of work or building a business, but I find that they struggle to even get through the school stuff a lot of times, which leads to all the life struggles too in many cases, sadly, but that's a whole other story. But when it comes to school, did you find that you struggled with school whether it's high school or college when it comes to that, because clearly people like you and I survived education. But what was your experience like? I mean, if I had the choice, I would never go to college. I think it's very overrated. I don't think you need, I mean, obviously if you want to be a lawyer or a doctor, there's certain professions that's required you to, but you do not have to go to college. You don't even have to graduate high school, but you do have to learn and you have to enjoy learning. But that doesn't mean it has to be from any institution or anything like that. The world that we live in today, you have every type of tool at your resource. You can go to Google, you can go to YouTube, you can go to all of these places. You can even post questions on Quora. For sure. There's so many different places that you have all of this information for free at your fingertips to learn anything that you want to learn. Well, speaking of some of those free resources, one of the segments of this show, so to speak, that I love doing is a very pragmatic, practical, step-by-step thing that I can make into a blog post that really helps someone in our audience who may want to tap into your expertise, kind of like bringing a guest speaker in. So if you were talking on the topic of, let's say one of my students wanted to start a jewelry business, what would be some advice that you would give people in terms of getting into business for the first time? Well, I mean, step number one, there's mindset. You've got to learn where that anxiety is coming from and how to manage it. I spend so much time managing my anxiety and stress. I have so many practices that I put into place to do that. That is number one, because if you cannot find an outlet, a mentor, or or some way to deal with that, your business is going to fail. 100%. So being able to manage that is step number one. Step number two, before you even decide a business, sit back and, and figure out, like, what are you best at? Like, what is the problem that you see in the world that you're like, I can solve that. That's an easy problem for me to solve. Start there. Because like starting a jewelry business, I ask why? Why do you want to start a jewelry business? Now, maybe you are an amazing designer and that's why. And you love design. You can see the patterns. You see what other people are creating. You're like, my shit's way better. But just ask yourself, like, what is the greatest problem that I see around me and my friends, my family that I'm like, why do they see that as such a big problem? problem. I see a clear solution for it. That is the best business to start. 
Well, there is a lot of snake oil out there in the system of online business and courses and people taking advantage of young people who want to start businesses when really a lot of this information and the knowledge is actually available for free, like you said. But I love your sharing that. I wish we could create an entire curriculum around this together for free and be able to help people learn these concepts. Speaking of curriculum and learning, the idea of educational reform or changing education a little bit is something that I love talking to guests about. So if you were to give input on what you think is maybe missing from school that should exist, what would you say we should have in schools or maybe something that should be removed? How to effectively communicate. Everything comes down to communication. They don't teach you how to communicate. Yeah, you'll do public speaking classes, but they don't break down the fact that people perceive the world differently. And that the way that people perceive the world dictates how to communicate effectively. Conflict resolution. I can't stress it enough. Like, yeah. I am only successful because I identify people's problems and I give them a solution to solve that problem. And sometimes that solution is not me. Sometimes it's a book, it's a podcast, it's a video, it's a course, whatever it may be. But the only reason I am successful is I go into every meeting, every interaction, trying to understand who somebody is, how they perceive the world, what do they want to achieve? What are the greatest challenges to them achieving that? And then I'm like, okay, this is how I would propose you to solve that. I don't even sell. People come to me after doing that and say, well, can I work with you to solve that? To me, if there's nothing else that you take away from this, if there's nothing else you learn in life, learn that and you will never have a problem in your life making money. Yes, the idea that to sell is human and the art of selling without actually selling, which is really successful marketing, I guess. I love all of that. Uh, I personally was a fitness professional, a personal trainer, and working quite a bit, 40, 50 hour weeks, making $100 an hour and setting sales records back in my young 20s. And I would have people come to me and ask, like, teach me what you do. How are you doing this? Can you tell me what what you're doing. And I'm like, well, I'm not really doing anything. You solve a problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just, you know, the whole idea that if you build it, they will come, I, I suppose. But just creating a good product or a good service, doing that over and over again, and through word of mouth, being able to uh, have people want that, I think is sales. Now, the other part of this for me that's challenging, and I can certainly open up and share tons of stories about feeling like I need to monetize, but also wanting to build the truly creative, holding my breath, even if it takes longer. And so for this show, uh, as an exact example, I would love to just grow this podcast to the point where it can then bring in revenue, whether it's through sponsorships or ads or some form of contract, but the actual pure creative. And I know a lot of people want to succeed with that, and they don't necessarily want to create a course or an ebook, not just because they're scared of money, but because they want to create for art's sake, but they do need that eventually to bring in money. So how do you help people that are struggling with that sort of concept? First, why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you want to be creative? Or are you doing it because you want to be famous? If you got paid no money and you did it, would you still be happy? Would you still do it? If you had 10 people listening to your podcast, would you still do it? Yes. If you were a musician and you only played for 10 people each gig, would you still do it? If that's the case, then do it. If not, 
then do not do it. Because you look at uh, like Joe Rogan, for example, he's the biggest show in the world, not just podcast, the biggest show in the world. He's been doing that for like 12 years. And he wasn't doing it to become famous. He did it because he liked it. That's the first place to start because I, uh, you know, starting in the film industry, you see all these people move there and so many of them quit because they're not in it for the right reasons. Yeah. And not necessarily because of beliefs per se, some of them I'm sure, but in many ways, Joe Rogan is a huge hero and someone that I really look up to because of that A, willingness to learn and B, the stick with itness of the podcast, just creating because you want to create and because you're curious. The thing I wonder is obviously timing played a bit of a role, but now I'll add consistency and we'll just see how that goes too. Uh, Speaking of name dropping, is there anyone else or a, a few others that come to mind when uh, someone should look to another example of someone who does a good job of marketing, believing in what they're doing and creating, building an audience, sticking with it, that kind of thing. Study Lil Nas X. He's a perfect case study. You know, he believed so much in himself. He took his first song, Old Town Road. He cut and hired other people to, I think they created like 200 different memes to that song until one went viral. He just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And where most musicians fail is they create one song, they create one video, they put it out, it falls flat, and then they give up. Well, I apologize ahead of time for putting you on the spot, but uh, speaking of great marketing and your ability to create hook points, what is something that we could title this episode? Oh my God. Uh, This is the one podcast you should not listen to. There's one. All right. Whatever you do, do not listen to this podcast. Perfect. That's awesome. As we head towards wrapping here, again, thank you so much for doing this, but I know inevitably great conversations always come to an end. I like to insert some guest or uh, audience submitted questions. And so the first one is, do you know how many of your millions of followers are actual customers or clients? No, I don't even focus on that. I focus on just the data coming in of our all of our campaigns. We're constantly growing. And again, like I don't look at an audience or followers of how much of them are paying because my job for my followers is to educate, engage and connect is not to sell. Does that mean that we don't retarget them with ads? We do. But when I'm posting content for my followers, it's not like, how do I get them to buy something? Yeah. And it's also it's like we do a lot of marketing for our books and I I understand that I could be selling a book to somebody that doesn't have the money to afford my services, but that does not mean that they're not going to get value. And it does not mean that they're not going to recommend the book to somebody that does have the ability to afford afford my services. So I know it's a bit of a long-winded answer to that question, but I just wanted to give it some context. No, I really appreciate that. And I feel again, back to that idea of scaling the unscalable and that word of mouth, something that I'm really interested in for this show as well. How do we get more people to just share the show because they genuinely intrinsically appreciate it and they want to share with people is really one of my big questions right now. Uh, The second question was if someone wanted to start a business as an NFT consultant, what would you say is a good platform for them to start building that focused brand at first. LinkedIn. I mean, that's you can specifically hyper target the people you want to go after. Beautiful. Short and sweet, but really helpful. Now, I always ask a few theme questions and then these connect as a through line between all of the episodes and the thousands that we'll have. It'll be cool to play them back, people answering similar questions. The first one is if you were to leave one piece of advice for the next generation, what would it be? Solve problems. 
Nice. Uh, I'm sure it already is, but if it's not, then that should definitely be on a mug and t-shirt. I think it's a great one-liner. The second question is something that you yourself are learning right now. Mastering the mind, understanding the power of it and understanding how to deal with anxiety, stress, self-doubt, things like that. I love that. That's actually something I'm really focused on right now, too. I hadn't gotten into Dr. Dispenza's work at all, but the concepts were familiar to me, and uh, I'm excited and interested in diving into that power of the mind type stuff even more right now. I have a quick follow-up question. Is there any particular way that you are learning that right now? I have so many. I, I do. Me I meditate every day. I do breath work every day. I've been training with professional freedivers, understanding how to uh, reprogram the brain around fear going into extended breath holds. So those are kind of the things that, that I've been really working on. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. I was just curious because every learning journey, of course, is individualized. And I was curious if there's anything specific that you're doing to work on mindset stuff that's similar to what I've been learning as well. This is the time where I get to pass the microphone, so to speak, and allow you to ask me a question, but I'll preface it in saying that my answer hopefully will help serve my audience. You're a great marketer. What is a question that you might ask me? I would say, well, what is what is the biggest reoccurring theme or challenge that you find your audience faces every day? There are a lot of things I've seen over a few years now of building a community and creating my own content. But one thing that stands out for sure is clarity over the direction that they want to take in life. And what I mean by that is they may have, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 different passion areas, and they don't know how much to focus on one area and how to get clear on what that one or two area would even be, you know, that sort of ikigai ability to be fully fulfilled and in alignment because you have clarity over your goal. And then you know how that maps towards your daily actions. That would be the definitely the main thing that people in this community I would like to support with. And if there was a secondary one, it would be the idea of moving on from your old personality of lacking confidence to one of being confident and in turn being able to be more vulnerable, have more growth mindset and learn quicker. So that kind of overall ball of how to learn effectively, I guess. And now it's time to ask as we wrap why and where people could find you online. Well, why? I can't tell you. If you're not interested or convinced after this conversation, no worries at all. Again, I don't sell or pitch anything. Uh, if you're interested in me or my books, you can look me up on Amazon. Or you can go to hookpoint.com. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find. Well, I know I said roughly an hour ago, thank you for doing this episode and how excited I was for it because I've read your books and looked up to your work over the years. But just want to reiterate and say one more time how appreciative I am that you took the time to do this interview. My pleasure. All right. Thanks again. Have a good day. All right. Thanks. JKL community, thank you so much for being here. Thank you to our guest, Brandon, as always. Really, this was an interview that I was so excited to do and shows that if you stick with your goals and you keep going, great things are going to happen because I honestly couldn't have imagined that Brendan Kane would be coming on an episode of this show so early on in the process. And for all of you who have supported the show, thank you so much. Please do pass it along if you have anyone that you think could learn from it. Until the next episode episode, all the best. And remember, just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. 
We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.